Welcome to Ozarks Hates and Hooch. This ain't no fancy, academic, check your references kind of deal. We are two sisters from the Ozarks, sipping and spewing about Hanks, Hooch, and history. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Ozarks Hanks and Hooch. This is Dina, and I am unfortunately not in the same room as Dawn. I know. I'm back in South uh, Carolina. <laughs> yeah, boo, hiss. Yeah. None of us are happy about it. No. Anyway, so just give a special um, consideration because there's so much dog hair on my microphone because I haven't used it in, um, what, three months? More than that, because we've been doing this together, and now I have to break out my home uh, podcasty stuff. So, yeah. Also, um, we'll just go right into the disclaimers because um, my children are all going to start getting home here in a minute, and my husband, and they don't know that I'm recording. The dog is going to bark because the little dogs are going to get him going. Um, so. There may be some pausing, <laughs> and I apologize, but it is what it is, and I can't do anything about it. So we are on all the social media as well, as in Facebook and Instagram. We were on those social medias. Um, make sure that you are subscribing when you're listening to us and giving us all the stars, thumbs up, you know, whatever, and you can give us, give us, um, and you can find us on all the platforms for that. We release on the 1st and the 15th of it each month. Um, we do have some new patrons. We who? Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we are so excited and thank you so much. We have Paige, who is a hoochie, and August, who is a haint. Which, Yay. Um, August is a haint in the show at Shepherd of the Hills with Kiss. He plays Matt Howard. So, how ironic. Tell him the funny part about I my very last night um, playing the roles I played at Shepherd. I went down to see Dina and Hunter and other people in the show. And um, everybody was teasing us because they're like, you have the same voice. You have the same voice. <laughs> and that was really funny. And then I, I said to August, I was like, thank you, new patron. And he goes, hey, I got a name. <laughs> so. Yes. And yeah. what he said that he had an in because he knew me or something like that. He's a funny guy. Yeah. We, we love August. He's a good guy. Um, regardless of if he's a patron or not yeah we love you too Paige we love all we do love you Paige and yes. so tell him yes please more people please be patrons it's so helpful to be able to start um making a dent in the giant amount of money that I uh have outlaid for this so I appreciate it Yes, thank you. Thank you, one and all. Um, our website is ozarkshanksandhooch.weebly.com. Um, and we update it with each episode, which I'm starting to do that all on my own. So yay me for new things. Yes. Learning new things. Um, I have the drink. 
It is called, one moment, please. That's not what it's called. It's called, it's <laughs> <laughs> not it, a Firefly Vodka Cocktail. And it is um, two ounces of vodka, four ounces of grapefruit juice, and an ounce of grenadine. You put ice in a highball glass. You pour the vodka and the grapefruit juice in the glass, stir it well, and then add the grenadine to that after you've stirred it. And then you're supposed to let the grenadine rise um, up into the glass. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't I couldn't find any uh, regular grapefruit juice. So I had to use ruby red grapefruit juice. And it's the same color as the grenadine. But uh, it's pretty. It is pretty. I, I use regular, I mean, pink grapefruit juice. So... Mine's a little pinker too. It's pretty, it's pretty grapefruity. You'd have to like grapefruit. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's not, yeah, it's not bad. Not bad at all. Um, I will tell you, as I tell Dawn, because we haven't talked about this yet, I took our mother to the craft fair at the Shepherd of the Hills today. Okay. And I came home and passed out because she walked the entire park, the entire park. Except for part of it where Scooter put her in her walker and pushed her around, wheeled her around in the walker. But that woman walked the entire Yes, she did. Well, and then we got, got in the car. She got a steroid uh, shot right before I left. So she yep. <laughs> Her knee feels better. That's yeah. right. And then we, um, Pace needed to go to Target. And I said, Mom, do you care? You don't even have to go in. We'll just, you can sit in the car. I'll leave it going. Or you can go in, whatever you want to do. And she was like, oh, I think I'll go in. Uh-huh. <laughs> then she walked all around Target. And I was like, hey, Mom, I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. So I took her, yeah, I took her home and dropped her off at her house and came back and sat on my couch and literally passed out for an hour. Just, I couldn't even open my eyes. She, uh, she wore me out. But that's, what she we had. that's what she would do when we go thrift storing before her knee started hurting so bad. She was, I'd, I'd be like, we cannot go to another store. I'm going to die. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah so i think she had fun it was very pretty it was um a beautiful day in the ozarks today oh. it was like 84 or something like that and the humidity right. wasn't super high so it was really it's been a, a very very pretty day it was a great mm -hmm. day for the the craft fair i guess did really well um well good i know they yeah i know they sold over 1800 tickets yesterday so wow. That's a lot for Shepard. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's just proves that they're doing the right things and they got some good things coming. So it was exciting to see that. I also I took her to lunch at the Shepherd's Grill and she it was good. Yeah. I have well, my so stand by. Sorry. Go ahead. Tell him tomorrow's her birthday. She'll be. Mm-hmm. 80, 86. Yeah. I always have to subtract my age. Yeah. I only know that because uh, I asked her because I think I told people she was going to be 83. So I told her that she owed me because I gave her three years. <laughs> but it's well, be 86. She told everybody last year that she was 86. And I'm like, no, mom, you're turning 85. So 
she's been a year older for half a year anyway. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, and I'm done. That is all I have to do. So I'm going to turn it over to Dawn and, and let her speak her, her stuff. Yeah. Do her thing. So, uh, you know, we, it's, I guess, well, you've done it too, but, um, you know, every story we do isn't always spooky. Um, I feel like, cause we say Haynes Hooch and history that there are times that we need to do some historical stuff. I mean, Thomas Hart Benton was one of those and everything. And, um, even though this isn't ghosty, it's still really creepy, but it has a maybe okay ending. So I'll just say that. But this is the story. And Dina, I don't remember this and we ought to. But anyway, this is the story of the abduction of Morgan Nick. So on June 9th, 1995, a six-year-old Arkansas girl named Morgan Dick, Dick, geez, I'm sorry, Morgan Nick, was stolen there you, go. From, there you go okay was stolen from her family during a little league game she had asked her mother if she could go catch lightning bugs with her friends after going to she did and then after going to her mother's car to take her shoes off to dump sand out of them morgan disappeared they think she was taken between 10:40 and 10:45 this all happened in Alma, Arkansas, which is about 15 miles northeast of Fort Smith. It's a smaller um, town of about 3,000 people. And I'll, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but there's a documentary that I sat and watched and sobbed through. So if you don't want to sob, don't watch it. But it's yeah, really... no sobbing. Well, you know, she was... I mean, they lost her forever. But anyway, okay... Before her disappearance from the Wofford baseball field, which happened to be just a mile from the town police station, she was last seen near her mother's car in the parking lot. Now, this baseball field has two, it's double fenced. So there was an interior chain link fence surrounding the game field and an outer chain link fence that encircled the bleachers overlooking the first and the third base lines. And it's a dirt field, dirt parking lots, no concession stands or bathrooms. I mean, that's important here in a minute. And there's two okay. dirt lots close to the ballpark, which served as parking areas. So Colleen, her mother, had parked her silver Nissan Stanza wagon in the lot on a little hill above the field. Um, she remembered... Colleen, the mother, Morgan really wanted to go chase those fireflies. Um, so Colleen told Morgan she could go. Colleen added, she was so happy. She flung her arms around my neck and kissed me on the cheek. It was the last time Colleen would see her six-year-old daughter. So this Hulu yeah. documentary, I think it was maybe on ABC first, and it was like a multi you know, episode, but I binge watched it on Hulu and it's called Still Missing Morgan. And, oh, it was done a couple of years ago because there's been, uh, what do you call it? There's been updates in the case since then, which I'll get to. Um, they, uh, another thing to kind of note about Morgan, she was kind of shy 
And with these kids, uh -huh. you know, she was six and the kids, I think that asked if she'd come play with them were like 10. And um, Colleen talks about, you know, I mean, I think about us and our kids, you know, you're on a ball field, you know, everybody around there, if they want to go play, of course you let them play. And that's yeah. what we did. And then the girl never um, returned. So when the baseball game ended, um, Colleen said she was momentarily distracted by the players exiting the field. The kids who had invited Morgan to chase fireflies returned, but Morgan wasn't with them. Their names are Ty and Jessica. They said they'd played in a sand pile near the parking area on the hill while Morgan sat down next to cop. So they had done that. And that's why Morgan went to her mom's car and sat down to empty the sand out of her shoes. Ty said he waited for Morgan, and as she finished tying her shoelaces, he went ahead and headed back down to the ballpark. So when she didn't follow him, Colleen thought that maybe she was waiting by the car, but when she got to her car, she wasn't there. So she searched around the vehicle and inside of it. One of the coaches noticed Colleen's distress, and when he learned her daughter was missing, he called 911. So that happened pretty quickly. Colleen and the other mm. parents immediately started searching for Morgan. I mean, they really thought she was under a car or running around or behind a tree. I mean, they really thought she was lost. They, at this point, didn't think oh. she was abducted. Um, let's see. So when the police arrived, they organized a grid search with the parents and the kids that were there at the baseball game. Um, flashlights pierced the darkness as searchers called out for Morgan. And like I said, at this point, the police thought she was just lost in an unfamiliar area. So a man Colleen's friends described as creepy reportedly approached the girl when she was tying her shoelaces. Witnesses claim they saw the unidentified man eyeing her while she played with friends. So left alone for just a moment, Nick was stolen when no one was watching. And once the witness came up to the police while they were all searching and said, I saw a creeper, um, they realized that she wasn't just lost. Um, so when they put out the abduction notice, they described her, I just thought this was kind of interesting, um, as having five silver molar caps, crowded teeth, and a green Girl Scout t-shirt. Um, her most unique physical characteristic was supposed to be a pronounced purple vein by the left side of her rib cage. Um, and she was officially described in like literature as a white six-year-old girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. She was approximately four feet tall and weighed 55 pounds. And that day she wore a greenish blue Girl Scout t-shirt, blue denim shorts and white tennis shoes. And that's going to become important here in a minute. I just think, I, I guess I can say this now. I mean, there were times that I was stupid with Jacob. You know, I'd walk away in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just trust it. Listen, my kids grew up. Uh, the older two played sports. Every sport you could play, those two played it. I can't tell you how many times Pace ran off with all his friends. And I'd be like, all right. I just know. Just let him go. 
I know. I mean, a scooter was probably, and I think it's because I I grew up here, and you get into a false sense of security, mm-hmm. and so you think, well, nobody's going to take my kid, right? Right, and it's sad that you have to worry about that now. Like I was thinking, oh my gosh, when we lived in Tennessee, there was a drive-in movie theater that had a um, playground, you know, in front of the screen. And there'd be kids down there playing football and stuff. Whenever we'd go there, Jacob would just take off, you know, and I really didn't. It was a, you know, anyway. Okay, so um, the man that this witness, um, saw the creepy man um was described as a six foot white male with an average to solid build a mustache and inch long beard um a composite sketch done by you know a sketch artist came and the witness talked to him highlighted the man's age and features and um i put that in the folder so dino put it on the website i'm sure So in this documentary, former police chief of Alma, Arkansas, Russell White, said that Ty and Jessica remembered a white male with a scruffy beard had been watching them. He wore shorts and was either shirtless or had his shirt open um, because the police chief said he remembered the kids saying he had some hair on his chest and stomach, but not a lot of it. Ty and Jennifer said the man was sitting in a red truck with the door open, smoking a cigarette. They also said the truck had a white camper shell that didn't fit right. So in the Still Missing Morgan documentary, White said, I think it happened very quickly. On his way out of the parking lot, I think he stepped out of the truck, grabbed her, put her in the truck and took off. Witnesses recalled a red pickup truck with a white camper shell that left around the time she disappeared. And later, this is amazing, it was caught on home video. Not the abduction, but the red pickup truck. Um, But like a lot of other leads, you know, because also if you live in a small town and something happens to somebody, people just come from miles around, right, to try Uh to help. But sometimes their help isn't fact it's more speculation i mean i just think of on facebook you know there are those forsyth community pages and branson and i kind of follow them just to see if i know anybody they're talking about and i mean people will just say shit and they have no idea what they're talking about you know yep but they mean well yes i do so i think that's probably what happened so the the truck I guess they tried at this point to, I mean, they didn't have a license plate. Somebody said the kids described the truck as being very square, like square headlights and a square boxy body. And somebody said, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, um, that it was a Mazda pickup and it belonged to one of the parents. But None of the parents drove a Mazda pickup. I mean, it was just like all of this misinformation. So that whole red pickup truck just kind of got dropped for a while. And that's too bad. Yeah. It becomes really important. Um, let's see what uh put it but but okay. So once the pickup truck went nowhere and all the like friends leads, you know, from that night went nowhere, um, 
the fact that they had nothing to go on started an an official investigation. So um, here's a sort of an interesting note, but kind of sad. And if you watch the documentary, this, this part made me cry. So Colleen was married to Morgan's father, whose name was John. And they, um, I guess they moved around a lot because they were, he was military and they came back to Alma because that's where they were from. And they wanted to be close to family when he retired out of the military. Do you see Elvis? Here's Elvis. I'm sorry. I see Elvis. Hello, Elvis. Yep. I hope he doesn't start howling. Um, Let's see. So um, they divorced in 94 and this abduction happened in 95. So Colleen, the night that it happened, Colleen called her ex-husband to tell him Morgan was missing. Um, Former police chief White maintained that Morgan's father, John Nick, did everything that was ever asked of him. He was cooperative at all times, but he didn't do media interview interviews. And so there was a lot of speculation, you know, anytime there's a murder of a wife, it's always the husband that's the first suspect, right? So yes, yes. Anyway, evidently he was doing early interviews. I mean, she was doing most of the talking and you see these um on this documentary and he would talk too, but he said one day he was walking up to the uh, podium where she and he were supposed to talk about her. And some asshole reporter says, um, let's see, uh, um, no one wants to hear from the father. We want to hear from the mother. And so, you know, in his grief, he said, you know what? I said, I don't want to talk to you assholes either. And I'm not going to. And 24 years later, I still haven't spoken to the media. So then, yeah, then um, like his, so that decision to stay out of the spotlight, unfortunately, people began accusing him of harming his own daughter. And in the documentary, he says, it's really painful for someone to point their finger and say that that and say that's who hurt that little girl. That's who took that little girl. And so, you know, for me, anytime I watch anything, if a man cries, especially an older man, I'm like, it's all over for me. <laughs> you know, like I'm sobbing. <laughs> so that really hurt him. And um, that's when the police chief said, you know, he did everything we asked him to do, except talk to reporters. So there were thousands of leads um, that had turned up and the case sort of periodically got renewed. And the police chief said, the one that was police chief then, you know, that he was going to find him. And then he ended up retiring. Um, and the another guy took his place and he's like, I'm going to make it my mission to go find who did mm-hmm. Because they figured, you know, by that time, she's maybe not coming back. I mean, the police, her parents thought she might. So um, just some, some, uh, a couple of, of investigations that were notable after the disappearance and, you know, the years that they couldn't find anything. So on January 15th, 2002, Police conducted a dig on a private piece of land in Boonville, Arkansas, 
after they received a tick that tip, I swear, a tip that claimed Nick might have been buried there. The tip was so specific. Oh my God. The tip was so specific. Specific. That police decided to dig. A police dog was also used in the search. Police ended up um, the investigation at 9.30 p.m. and said they didn't intend to return to the property. Now, is this the one? So I think that was the piece of property that may have had a concrete slab. Um, They thought that, I think that's right. Uh, No. No, I'm sorry. Okay, just strike that. Forget it. Police ended the investigation at 9.30 p.m. and said they didn't intend to return to the property. Then on November 15th, 2010, so eight years later, federal investigators searched a vacant house in, is it Spiro, Oklahoma, S-P-I-R-O, which is about 18 miles southwest of Fort Smith. So this is all, like Alma is northeast, this is southwest. And they were searching it for DNA evidence to show, that could show that Nick had once been in the house. Um, On December 18th, 2017, investigators returned, and they didn't find anything. So they returned seven years later to conduct another search after they received a tip about the case. This was it. Cadaver dogs alerted investigators to a well on the property, which they said was the center of the investigation. So they searched for a whole day, but no evidence was ever found. Um, LaFleur County Sheriff, the Oklahoma County Sheriff, Rob Seal says authorities began their search Monday based on a tip technically not related to Morgan Nick's case that had come through the task force. They got officers who were involved in the Nick case to come out to the site in case they did find anything related to it because um, the man that may have taken her perhaps lived there, I believe. So Alma Police Chief Russell White tells uh, KATV the pro. oh yeah, the property that was searched previously belonged to a person of interest in the Nick case. That person of interest um, is now, as of like 2019, in the Oklahoma penitentiary on child molestation and rape charges, Sheriff Seal said. So in the documentary, they make a much bigger deal of this, obviously, because they had like episodes to do that. But this person... I believe may have had a red pickup truck and he had been um, convicted before of child molestation and raped. And they were trying to tie the two stories together, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it, but of course it went nowhere. And so um, prior to all of that in 1996, the year after the abduction, Colleen Nick started the Morgan Nick Foundation, which helps parents cope with the disappearances of children and helps prevent children from going missing. Um, Morgan's case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted, and Morgan's family and the foundation were featured in 2005 on Extreme Makeover Home Edition after the family's house was damaged in a water heater explosion, which is awful. Um, 
In Arkansas, the Amber Alert Service is named the Morgan Nick Amber Alert Service in her honor, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, let's see. Um, just a couple of other things that sort of are related to the case, but not related to her abduction. Um, in August of 2012, Tanya Smith and James Monhart, two previously convicted felons, were arrested for computer fraud after attempt attempting to assume the identity of her. Because, you know, people do that all the time. They go look at who's died or who's missing or whatever and then assume her identity. And they probably didn't even yeah. know she was a little girl, you know. So in February of 2023, Still Missing Morgan was a four-part ABC News Studios docuseries executive produced by Ridley Scott. It was really good, I'll tell you. And it was released on Hulu. And I, like I said, I sat and watched it. So... The, the good news is, however, um, in 2020, Alma Police Chief Russell White retired and handed over the reins of the police department to his good friend and a 20-year veteran, Jeff Pointer. So <clears throat> when he was the guy I was talking about, when he became chief, he, um, he took the reins of the city's most infamous cold case. Um, and then... Another guy named Brett Harley became the Alma Police De Department's lead detective in 2019. So together, they kind of, you know, really went at it again so many years later. Um, the detective Hartley said, in 25 years of law enforcement here, Morgan is the only one we haven't found. So they were really... Um, they were really adamant about making some headway. Hartley said, I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for facts. I'm looking for details. I'm looking for specifics that I can focus on aside from composites. Because after they made composites from all the people that were at the ball game and that just went nowhere, he kind of approached it through a different route you know he sort of went back and looked at the truck which i'm going to talk a lot about here in a minute and other details that they didn't really pursue you know in 95 um <clears throat> in the days after morgan went missing a television news report stated that the truck in the video was probably a mazda and was owned by a parent you know i told you that except that wasn't true and so then I think Detective Hartley is the one who said, I've not found a single document at this point that tells me that truck's cleared or that the owner of the truck has been identified. So he kind of went after the truck. He explained that night Morgan disappeared. Police took the information of everyone who had been at the ball field, including the type of vehicles they drove. People were also asked about any guest they invited to see the game and got descriptions of those vehicles too. According to Hartley, that truck does not exist in those records. But the red truck with the ill-fitting camper had been seen at the ball field that night. So to kind of explain this, um, um, because the red truck, you know, like was explained away when she 
when they uh, when she was abducted, they sort of dropped that whole thing. So Hartley takes that back up. Um, let's see. Um, but and they kind of decided that oh, there probably wasn't any red truck. But um, Ty and Jessica, the kids that were her friends, had described it. And other witnesses had seen the vehicle too, and that was in reports, but people just didn't put it together. And they found out actually that the red truck was parked next to the mother's Nissan Stanza in the parking lot. And that's pretty amazing. So um, here's all about the red truck, because this was kind of a breakthrough. so, uh, you know, the kids have described a red truck. Um, other people, other witnesses have described a red truck. So he starts looking for a red truck. So the first known interaction with the driver of a red truck came from a teenage, white teenage female walking on the side of the road prior to the abduction. The vehicle pulled in front of her and the man inside asked her if she wanted to, a ride to downtown Alma. Scared, the girl said no and hurried away. Not long after that, in the northern part of Alma, two girls, five and six years old, were playing in their front yard. They came running and screaming into the house, and the mother saw a red truck with a white camper pulling away and driving off. The mother reported the incident to the Alma police. So just keep in mind that, you know, the police department, I mean, it's not a huge town, but people just didn't make these connections. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. I've lost my place. Um, The next, okay. So the third run in with the driver of a red truck was reported by a couple of teenage boys. They were walking from the older ball field on the South side of West main street and a red truck with a white camper shell stopped next to them and the driver and got on to them for being in the road. One of the boys said the truck then turned onto Walnut Street. Walnut Street is the road used to get to the upper parking area of Wofford Field. Um, That same day, some 10-year-old boys riding bikes and playing in the street were also told to get off the road by a driver of a red truck. According to Hartley, the red truck with the white camper in the photo circulated by the Alma Police Department was parked on the street during a game played between 5 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. Then the red truck was seen in the upper parking area of the Wofford Field. It disappeared, likely with Morgan inside around 10.40. But the truck was seen once more that night in a location Detective Hartley Hartley would not reveal because he said it's still ongoing. He says a group of teenagers driving near the Arkansas River noticed a red truck with a white camper. One of the teenagers reported seeing a man holding down a little girl in the front seat. Um, teenagers are stupid. I, you know, you would like to think that they would have said something then, but they were afraid they'd get in trouble for being out. So after the fact, um, Detective Hartley said that the teenagers tried to show officers where they'd seen the vehicle, but by then the area was flooded. Hartley believes that all this information about the truck is solid. During the filming of the Hulu documentary, Hartley, along with FBI Special Agent Reuben Gay, 
and the canine unit of the Texas Game Warden searched the location where Hartley, Hartley thinks Morgan was last seen more than 27 years ago. But the scent dogs <clears throat> did not detect the presence of human remains. So they're just coming at this so much later. Okay. So yeah, I everything has to be gone, right? So much of it has it, to be I guess it gone. and everything, yeah. So I know this is getting kind of long, but it it just goes to show you sort of how keep you know how it works. Like sometimes something will happen that's they don't think is related to the case, but you know it takes one guy putting it together. So there was also yeah. an attempted abduction in Van Buren, Arkansas, which is just northeast of of Fort Smith. So it's all, you know, Fort Smith's big. So this all's happened around there that happened two months mm -hmm. after Morgan, an 11 year old girl and her brothers walked to the local Sonic to get food. After they made their purchase, they headed away from the restaurant and an older man in a truck pulled up next to the kids and, oh, this is so creepy mm -hmm. and gave the boys a couple of dollars to leave so he could talk to the girl alone. The brothers wouldn't leave their sister, but that didn't stop the man from having what Detective Hartley called an indecent conversation with the girl. After talking about sexual acts that included sex toys, he offered the girl money to go home with him. Terrified, she told him no and said she was calling the police. The children ran back to the Sonic. The man took off and crashed into a light pole because he was drunk. Van Buren police officer Kevin Johnson, who retired from law enforcement in 1999, but was working at the time, and his team tracked the license plate number to a red truck owned by a man named Billy Jack Lynx. A preponderance of evidence at Lynx's house, along with damage to the front of his red truck, convinced him that he was the man who tried to abduct the girl. They had arrested him for sexual solicitation of a child. So then, now that he's arrested, they find out all this stuff about him. In 1992, Lynx was accused of molesting one of his granddaughters, Gross. He was arrested and charged, but given a 10-year suspended imposition of sentence, otherwise known as probation. So this dude has molested a kid, and they let him out on probation. Investigators believe there were other multiple victims of Lynx that, according to Hartley, were never picked up on. Since he was on a 10-year probation, Lynx was free to find other girls to vic victimize. I just, I don't, can't wrap my head around why they let him go. But um, investigators in 95 discovered that Lynx had poured a concrete slab on his property three days after Morgan's disappearance. But before they pursued digging up the area, Lynx passed a polygraph about Morgan's kidnapping, so investigators backed off. Nowadays, um, polygraphs are inadmissible. So back in 95, evidently they weren't um, because, you, you know, I mean, it's pretty well known that you can fool a polygraph test. But now, two and a half de decades later, Detective Hartley and the FBI returned to Link's property and dug up the 10-inch high concrete slab and three feet of dirt underneath it. They hit rock, and there was nothing in that 8 by 8 area except dirt and tree roots. 
Since Link's attempt to abduct a young girl was only eight weeks after Morgan disappeared and both cases had detailed witness reports of a suspicious red truck, the FBI and the Arkansas State Police joined the team investigating Link's. So now there's like more resources, right? And there was one curious witness, witness statement in the Van Buren case. Up until a couple of months before, Link's truck had a camper shell. So Link's truck was processed at his house on September 1st, 1995, and it was brought in for a second, more detailed processing on September 5th, 1995. I'm sorry for the dings. I don't know how to turn that off and people are texting me, so... So, okay, um, let's see. Uh, several evidentiary items were collected by crime scene investigators. This is September of 95, including a cutout of the truck seat where a drop of human blood was located. So, unfortunately, um, after the red truck was processed, I mean, the evidence got lost because, of course, it did. Um and so the only thing that remains is the documentation. So Link's truck was impounded and remained in police custody for decades. Then it was sold at auction. Investigators tracked the VIN number of the truck to the new owner who lived about 30 miles away from Alma. The truck was intact. I mean, 27 years later, the truck is there. So FBI special agents went to pick it up. But first the evidence response team gathered evidence on site. FBI Special Agent Ruben Gay noticed markings on the truck that indicated that a camper shell had probably been attached. The truck was also a Chevrolet with a boxy body and square lights, just like Ty and Jessica had previously described. So, I mean, if they'd have listened to the kids in the first place. So... The FBI takes the truck apart piece by piece. Um, among all the trace evidence recovered was a spot of blood, a single blonde hair, and fibers. So they sent the evidence to Quantico, but the hair and the blood was so old that they couldn't, and the sample was so small they couldn't get DNA off of it. Um, but that left the fibers. So this F another FBI special agent, Robert Allen, said, when we send all these parts off, we're sending as much stuff as we can, including knowns. One of the items we sent as a known is a Girl Scout shirt that's supposed to be the same age, same type of shirt, make, model, run as the shirt Morgan was wearing when she disappeared. These fibers were recovered from the driver's side seat, mat, carpet, metal pieces in the carpet, padding in the bracket. So the results from Quantico revealed that the blue-green cotton fibers, quote, exist the same microscopic and optical properties, end quote, as the known sample, the Girl Scout t-shirt. The lab report also concluded that, quote, due to the variability in manufacturing, dyeing, and consumer use, one would not expect to encounter a fiber selected at random to be consistent with a particular item. What does that mean? Well, according to the FBI, it means it's highly unlikely that those fibers would match any random material. It's as close as law enforcement will get to officially saying the fibers found in Link's truck came from the same type of shirt Morgan was wearing. 
That means that the law enforcement could then narrow their focus to one suspect, Billy Jack Links. Um, in the documentary, the mother said, I think the part that bothers me the most is that the perpetrator is deceased. At the end of the day, that means there's no justice. No one has to stand, stand and face us for what we did. So, unfortunately, Billy Jack Links was convicted of that earlier sexual solicitation of a child in 95 and sentenced to six years in prison. And he died on August 5th, 2000, while still serving his time. So law enforcement still is has not closed the case. Um, the FBI say they are committed to getting definitive proof that Billy Jack Links abducted Morgan Nick. Detective Hartley hasn't given up on Morgan either. He continues to search the area he calls Location 7, looking for the little girl in wooded swampy land and in the rushing cold water of the Arkansas River. So Colleen says, uh, you know, when they were talking about her foundation and stuff, Morgan is not a number. She's not a statistic. She's not a case file. It's my job to make sure she never gets lost until someone can prove to me that Morgan is not coming home, that I'm going to fight for her. So that is the story of the Morgan Nick abduction. So at least they're pretty sure about who abducted her, you know, but they don't know definitively and there's no guy to watch Fry or whatever. Yeah, no closure. No closure for her parents. Yeah, I might have been on mute and talked to you during that. Oh. <laughs> um, Sam started losing his mind, so I muted it, but I thought I unmuted it. I didn't, so I might have had a conversation like, with the dog. Am I into a void? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, anyway, so yes, the whole no closure thing. That drives me crazy. And just the... I mean, just watching the documentary and reading all the stuff, I just was like, oh, my God, that could have been my kid. That could have been my kid, you know? That's yeah. horrifying. So, anyway, sad, but at least there's some pretty um, important updates, I guess. And by the way, this... Yeah, and at least they didn't... Yeah, this all happened recently that they're they're now naming Billy Jack Links as the primary suspect. So. Yeah. That is good. That is yeah. good. Sad. Um my after saying that my internet was good, um it's it's not. It's That's bad. It all of a sudden went bad. So. I still hear you. Anyway, well, Okay, good. Um, I enjoyed that. I'm um it was a good one. I mean, not enjoyed that. It was good information. I didn't enjoy it because it's not, you know. Well, you know, the other thing but I learned good information. The other thing I learned from this is you need so I read a bunch of stuff, I watched the documentary, I read a bunch more stuff. I had trouble like with a chronological timeline because I just didn't have time to make one. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. anyway, if you're interested yeah. in this, the documentary is really worth a watch. I mean, they really go into it. And the camera crew follows them around doing some of the later um, 
you know, investigation. Do you hear Elvis purring? Can you hear him? It's mm-hmm. time, so he's like yes. in my mouth right now. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, I just yawned. I'm telling you, mom killed me today. Killed me. I can't. Well, I got. Uh, a, I've got an early morning, so. Anyway, that's what I got. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, Thanks for listening, Dawn. Thank you. That was some good information. Um, I feel like me at 95, I was old enough to care about things like that. So I'm surprised that it's not something that I remember, honestly. I know. I didn't either, but I was in Tennessee and Jacob was too. So that may have been why I didn't know anything. But. It makes me very grateful for my luck um, in still having my kids around. You mm-hmm. know, I I think that I am more worried about pace now at 15 and getting stolen than I was when he could have actually gotten stolen. Not that he couldn't get stolen now. They'd probably bring him back, though. He <laughs> is in the middle of his teenage yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I so, just, hey, mom and I spent an entire day with him today and did not kill him. Oh, well, that's bonus a bonus points there. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Again, um, we will remind you that we are on all the platforms and that we will post on the 1st and the 15th of the month. Um Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Go over to ozarksaintsandhooch.com.weebly.com. Let me try that again. ozarksaintsandhooch.weebly.com, which is our website. And I think that is all. Everybody have a great week. Uh, I got to interject something. I'm interjecting something. I'm sorry, Tinder. I should have said this. So uh, right after this episode airs, I'll be back in West Plains, Missouri at the Ozark Symposium doing the keynote performance on Friday night at 530. So if you hear this and you it's free um, and you want to drive to West Plains to hear some really great information about the Ozarks and then see a performance, please do that. Yeah. Okay. Now we can say goodbye. Exciting. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And remember, if you liked it, tell all your friends. But if you didn't, keep your big mouth shut. shut.